Hey folks, welcome to episode 123 of the Becoming Human podcast. This episode, I brought my friend on Alfred Marillo to help me get to the nitty gritty details of jujitsu while I peacefully meander through the many faucets of life with this week's guest, Phil Schwartz. Phil created the epic event Shugyo, a submission-only jiu-jitsu competition with no time limit, and he kept an air of secrecy while the event was happening and during the whole editing process until he released a multi-part series on YouTube that didn't just tell the story of the matches, but the competitors themselves. And it was beautifully done. If y'all are still in quarantine, cooped up in your houses, I definitely recommend it as a watch on YouTube as uh, Shugyo. And he also has a YouTube series called Submission Hunters. It has like the reality TV style kind of uncut shot um, behind the scenes of uh, 10th Planet Portland Jiu-Jitsu players. Phil's a black belt in Jiu-Jitsu and the owner instructor of 10th Planet Portland. I love getting to know Phil because he has a diverse array of interests and skill sets. And throughout his years of practice, he's been able to cohesively bring them together um, so that he can increase the amount of time he has available to do what he loves. And I think that would ring, that rings true to us all. If you'd like to learn more about Phil, you can check him out on uh, Phil at, on Instagram at PhilSchwartz10P. You can check Alfred Murillo out on Instagram at poo.jitsu. And check out the website, 10thplanetportland.com. What's your favorite thing for breakfast uh, before competition or before, uh, you know, before a big special day, right? Um, what's my favorite thing for breakfast before competition or a big special day? Yeah. Um, to be honest, almost every single day, um, well, one of you know, one of my mentors and friends, Nathan Orchard, uh, always said and taught us that um, you should you shouldn't make competition a special day. You should treat competition the way you treat any single day or, or uh, any single thing. So if you're achieving or striving for excellence or, or your own pursuit of it every day, then you're kind of doing the same things every day. Um, and so um, I personally <laughs> like to wake up and uh, drink a cup of coffee and smoke a joint. And that, that, uh, that holds me all the way till about two or three o'clock after my first training session. So usually my first meal of the day is around 3 p.m., which I know is really weird to most people. Damn. Sativa or indica? <laughs> always, always sativa. Yeah. And uh, does smoking weed help you with jujitsu? And uh, also, how does it affect your teaching? Uh, it definitely it definitely helps me with jujitsu. Um, I think that um, I've, I've, I've told this to a lot of people that um, I think um, – that smoking weed can help you drop into the flow state in anything that you do, provided that you have the capabilities to do that already on your own. So um, when is smoking weed not good? It's not good when you're trying to acquire a new skill that you know nothing about or that you're an amateur at. Um, so if you're a white belt, if you're a blue belt, um, and you're showing up to class super stoned every day, you're probably not retaining as much as the guys who aren't showing up stoned, right? But if you're a purple belt, you've been rolling for like four years and you like, you know, jujitsu, you're just kind of working it out. You smoke a little weed before open mat and uh, you can just drop right into that, right into that flow state. Um, I find the same thing for running. I find the same thing for snowboarding. I find the same thing for, uh, a lot of different things that I'm already proficient at. Um, it's it's yeah. like trying to go and play the bass, right? And you're trying to learn and you have to think about where to put your fingers. But if you get to the point where you don't have to think and you can just jam, like smoking weed would be pretty good time. Are you a bass player? No, Alpheus. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I, I grew up as a bass player. Oh, nice. Yeah, I, I played in a metal band for like 
that was my big passion before jujitsu started just music yeah. yeah yeah me too it was uh i was definitely from 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 the time i was a kid um and i mean and still you know always always music was definitely my first my first love first thing i got into um yeah. first first serious thing i did was music um and then yeah i was never like super athletic i got into jujitsu later yeah, mine went like athletics first, like as a kid growing up. And then I went through a phase in my life um, where I was like agoraphobic and I didn't leave the house for like two years. And that's when I picked up like music and everything because you're sitting around all day. So it's like, what better to do than learn an instrument? And yeah, it kind of snowballed from there. And then I got not bored of that, but it kind of all collapsed it on itself. And then, yeah, jujitsu found its way back into my life. Yeah. Um. When you started to get into jujitsu, what was your relationship with athleticism? Like, where did you started to see yourself as an athlete as you started to train, um, or was it more of a chore? Um, so my whole—I uh, mean, I played—I played soccer and baseball growing up and in high school, and I played soccer in college. And I was probably always the least athletic kid on any of those teams. Um, and when I started training. Uh, martial arts and I started like really training martial arts um I think I, I it was the first time that I ever really transcended that athletic uh that athletic place in anything um and I think once I crossed that line I was like oh yeah like I was not really uh acting as an athlete earlier in my life I wasn't really being athletic um and then when I started doing jiu-jitsu and MMA um, that was when I started actually being like, okay, like there's a different level of this. And then, um, going like going further in jujitsu, um, and starting to compete like at a more, at like a higher level and against higher level people, you start to understand like the role of all, um, parts of being an athlete in, in whatever sport you're playing, you know, but there's, you know, there's obviously cardio and strength, uh, play a role in every sport. When did you start uh, practicing jiu-jitsu or martial arts in general? Uh, I started in, in 2007, and I was, uh, is that right? 2000, yeah, 2007. I was, I was uh, 21. I was 21 years old, so about, about 12, 13 years ago, yeah. Were you, still in, were you in college at that point? Yeah, I was in college. What was your, were you studying? I was studying uh, military history. What? Whoa. What, what, or has that like been a long passion for you? Uh, I started as a, I started as a pre-med science major and then, um, I got to organic chemistry and I hated it. And so I decided that I was going to like switch gears and then, uh, yeah, I've, I've been interested in military history my whole life. So I was like, all right, I'm just going to like, I'm going to go this route. And so I ended up, I ended up, uh, doing my senior, my senior thesis on, um, on Napoleon's response to the original guerrilla warfare in Spain. What drew you to that? Um, it was, uh, I, I really wanted to, we were, we were deep, we were still deep in Iraq and Afghanistan and the, the, the topic of guerrilla warfare and, and kind of like, um, what they call asymmetrical combat, um, was, was really like, seemed like a new idea, but it was actually an old idea. And so I was curious, like how far back it went. So I was kind of tracing the roots of guerrilla warfare to like, um, not to the beginning of the tactics, but at least to the beginning of the name. And so this is where the name guerrilla war, uh, comes from, which actually, it's actually, um, Napoleon's invasion of Spain. Wow. And don't you love that when you get to like research something and realize that something that seems so novel is like, really really fucking old <laughs> yeah, like I, yeah. I, I had that with like indian clubs you know it started getting into swinging clubs like, oh this is so cool it's great for your posture why is nobody oh wow they have the british like military has been doing it for several years and then it's been around for like two thousand plus years but it's still like right now it's really hard to get access to the equipment and stuff and you know to find a bunch of people talking about it like they do kettlebells yeah yeah nothing um Nothing is new. Everything is just being rediscovered. Yeah, it's like jujitsu, right? Like leg locks were a thing a long time ago, then they became prevalent now, and everything that we're doing now, that's, it's all being rediscovered. Yeah, but, and it even goes one step farther than that, if you want to think about it, like mathematically, because um, 
jujitsu is jujitsu because of the human anatomy. So if you took the human anatomy and all of the ways that it bends and moves and you like pull that out mathematically, there's only a limited amount of movements that can be made. So when we look, when we look at jujitsu, we see a lot of, um, different permutations of the same movement, right? So there are many ways to break the arm, but there's just an arm, bar. an arm bar is an arm bar, right? So right. there's many ways to arm bar. There's many ways to Kimura, many ways to umuplata, many ways to choke. Um, but the reason why an arm bar, Kimura, and a umuplata work um, is all to do with the physiology of the body. And so, you know, if you imagine like, we have this like, we think that there's this like, this concept of jujitsu as something that is um, universal, like a universal truth, but actually it's very man-made. Uh, octopuses don't don't fight the way we fight. You know, they don't. Their their concept of combat is different than ours. And even if you try to do jujitsu on an octopus, you know, it's got eight arms and it's different. You know, it doesn't. Yeah. It has no joints. You can't joint lock it. You know, so um, so anybody that says like I invented this move. Um, no, you discovered the move. The 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 body is has always existed this way. You just you know that that plus plus like you're telling me that no one ever did this in ancient Greece. Bunch of guys wrestling around. You know what I mean? Like you're telling me, yeah, right. Never, yeah. I never tried. No one ever tried that before. You think you're the first one to ever try that? Okay, right. <laughs> There's so much more beyond. Like I used to get caught up in something where whenever I would try, either it's like making music it's so embarrassing because it was always within like the first few months ever it's like trying music um you know or writing my own book so on and so forth i'd always go like straight experimental i'm like i'm gonna come up with the new thing and i'm like oh wow i'm just indulging in ego and spinning my wheels and like there's more to this there's like discovering something new isn't really that important in light of the the practice and showing up and being there consistently and i'd almost say like jujitsu is like just a vehicle for practice in some way Right. Like just like running could be a vehicle for practice, showing up consistently, doing something, watching yourself evolve, facing challenges, overcoming discomfort and and then accomplishing something, some metric of success after that and then moving on. Right. Yeah. And so did your um, did your studies, did it at the time affect the way that you looked at jujitsu and your commitment to it? Like, did it overlap with your interest in like um, war and martial arts? Um, I mean, I read, I, um, I think that, um, when I, about the time when I kind of became about 13, 14 and started realizing that organized religion probably wasn't where all the answers were. Um, I started look, I was like, well, if I, if I'm not, if I'm not like associated with this religion anymore, then, um, I kind of need a new guideline or a new code, you know, and I started reading a lot of, uh, <clears throat> of ancient Japanese stuff and Eastern stuff. Um, and so I actually started reading, you know, Eastern philosophy before I became a martial artist. And then once I became a martial artist, I was like, Oh yeah, this really, man, those samurai really didn't know what they were talking about. They had some good ideas. Um, there's something to this, you know? And so, um, uh, I've always been analytical. I've always been analytically minded. And so I think that that um, one of the things that was special for me about jujitsu was that even coming from um, a place where I had a lot of opportunities to play sports. So I did, um, but I wasn't necessarily good at it. Uh, jujitsu was really the first thing I tried or that I felt like, okay, this makes sense. Like even when, and even when um, you see something new in quotation marks, or even when, um, even when you, um, you learn a lesson by doing something incorrectly, the answer or the response makes sense. Um, it's logical, right? So you might solve the math problem wrong a hundred times, but when you're shown the correct way, you're like, all right, yes, there's a logical flow to why this is the correct way. And I always felt that kind of like mathematical logic, um, in jujitsu. And so it always made sense to me. And I just kind of just dove into it. It's nice because I remember when I got into jujitsu, it gave me almost like a sense of stability and structure over everything. Because like life often, a lot of things can feel out of your control. But in those moments, like 
just analyzing your game and grappling, you know, especially as you begin something, um, it was able to give me that framework of like stability and a feeling of control over my own life. Right. And like that helped like emotional stability. And just from there, cause I, I watched myself with like the way that I'd become, I started to become more process orientated and like structuring my life and seeking structure. Whereas when I was younger, you know, I was like Jackie Chan, like just a horse who was like, fuck. And I couldn't, you know, I would try these sports and I'd be like, ah, fuck this. I don't want to do football. That's too hard. And like, and then, you know, even like schoolwork and stuff. And when I would go to work, it's like, I don't want to work this nine to five job. This is, this sucks. And I'd feel like I was like, you know, lazy or loser, but then I would confront something like jujitsu and like it, it made everything kind of sink for me. Yeah. I see. And like, what I think is interesting is where the structure in jujitsu like there's a lot of structure in it. It's also so free and open, right? Cause it's like you, you shake, you slap bump, you start. And then there, there's no rules. There's no saying like, you know, this person has to hit the, hit the ball with the bat and then run to first. You could hit the ball with the bat and run to right field if you want to in jujitsu, you know what I mean? And it's all your, it's all in your control of which, of uh, where you want to go with it and how you want to pursue it. You know what I mean? Even, even as you start getting better and better at it. Yeah. It's open. It's an open world. The, there's a lot of there's a lot of different options and and I think that like um going back to like what we were talking about um before the podcast even started about like what what makes jujitsu what makes jujitsu beautiful or what is beautiful jujitsu if it can even be defined um I think that a lot of what interests us in athletes are those athletes' choices right because um, not only do athletes have to choose but they have to commit to the choice hard and really, really aggressively. Right. Um, if you're, if you're in a boxing match and you know, and you're not, you're, you're kind of second guessing your choices and not really committing, you're not going to get very far. Right. right. So when we study athletes, um, I think a lot of times, you know, we look at two things. We look at movement and the beauty of it and the smoothness of it. And we look at choices and, and the timing of those choices. Um, and so and you could say reaction choices, uh, you know, actions, whatever, whatever you want to break it down as. But um, I think that, you know, when we're when we're studying any any match uh, of two athletes, it's like, man, look at all these interesting choices. This one started on the ground. That one started standing. Uh, then it was reversed. You know, I mean, there's then. And so jujitsu offers so many different avenues of choice. Um, that it can become really interesting to watch that way. And that's what I was suppose I was talking about before when people chase like something new or even my own self when I'd start something out is like, you know, greatness is not necessarily reinventing the wheel and greatness. Like what's becomes, you know, epic or, or interesting, fascinating is the, the choices that that you make in in relation to our own selves. Right. Cause like you're operating on very pretty predictable things. Right. And there's only so many different like submissions that you have so many different entries into takedowns. And like at some point, like you could, it doesn't become monotonous despite how much of it you watch, because there's always some new, new kind of amalgamation of creativity, right? Like not one individual move. Um, it's just how they go about like the, the event. And like, even for someone for like yourself or Nathan, which, I've like watched you guys, um, you know, throw on a, like host events and your, your gyms and, and the way that you guys, you guys talk about jujitsu and just like life is, uh, even on a broader range is like, what kind of choices do you make? And that's where I think it's interesting that you put on like Shugio cause that takes a lot of, um, of time and commitment to make something like that. Um, and also you got to commit to that. Cause like having, you know, no time limit rounds and it's just submission, you know, submission only event. Like that's a big commitment. Um, and what was it like for you to put together Shugyo? Because I noticed when I was watching on YouTube that you would have like a, um, there were 20 minute videos, but some of the matches were a lot longer than that. So you must have to have thought a lot about what you wanted to include in that content. Yeah. Um, I think that, um, knowing what we know now, (laughs) yeah. I don't think we realized how much work it was going to be um, to get it out at the level. I think what, yeah, we definitely did had no idea um, going into it. And so um, because, you know, the, the number one thing about Shugio is, is secrecy. And so 
um, part of the fun of it was that um, everyone had to keep it a secret and that no one knew um, the results after the fact. So, um, wait, where this where this interest in secrecy come from? Because I thought that was really cool. Like, did you just love the show Lost? <laughs> I, I, Sorry. I, watched, I watched Lost. I'm, I'm, but, I, I've watched a lot of TV shows. <laughs> it was just a cool approach to to keep that under wraps like that. It's it's fun. It was, it was the only. It was in my mind. It was the only way to accomplish that goal. I mean, I can go. I can go deep into the planning of Shugio. I don't know how deep you want to go, but um, Shugio had basically four goals. Um, which was to, you know, real, real low key goals. We just wanted to be the best experience for the athletes, the best experience for the spectators, the best experience for the sponsors, and, you know, ideally the, a good experience for the, for the participants in the creators, you know? Um, and I think we, we accomplished that a lot. Uh, we accomplished many of those things. Um, there's some things obviously we're going to do better in the second season, but, um, you know, going into it, yeah, we had no idea. So the reason why I brought that up was because we filmed it over a weekend. And once the whole, I mean, that, the whole event was over. And it, it was like, wow, you know, all the uh, camera equipment and the lights, camera action, and the whole, you know, 15-person crew showing up every day, working long hours to do the whole production, all the athletes, the winners, the losers, all the gear, all the sponsors, all that stuff, right? That was a big weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And then boom, Monday comes, it's over. And now it's just like editing. Yeah. <laughs> like, so then you're just like, wow, like, like the, as big as the event. It, and like, this is why, this is like one of the big differences between us and everybody else is that, and a lot of people have asked me like, oh, for season two, are you going to live stream it? And I'm like, no, we're not going to live stream it. We, we can't, we can't live stream. It doesn't work that way. You know, yeah. like, and first of all, no, we're not going to live stream it. And second of all, that's not, you wouldn't want to watch it that way. You wouldn't want to watch uh, an eight hour live stream of the tournament, you know, like that wouldn't be, that's, that's, we'd be failing that group that I was talking about uh, the spectators, you know? So what we had to do is we <laughs> have, to, have to keep it a secret while we're editing it. And then as it comes out, the spectators get the benefit of having all the surprises, but also having all that production quality that we're able to put into it. See, so, and the story behind it is what makes it so like, uh, the story behind each individual grappler is what brings so much interest into it. Because I have to be honest, like I didn't know who Jordan Hawley was before Shukio, but then after that, man, he was, he was one of my picks uh, to, to win combat jujitsu uh, worlds, right? Yeah. And it's only because of Shugio that I that I had any idea who this guy was. And if he was just another random grappler, you know, that was being live streamed at a tournament, you know, you don't get to know the the grappler that way, the martial artist that way, or the fighter that way. Right? It's true. Like if you just see a, um, you know, when we when we just see a normal um, sixteen man bracket, you know, the the only people you really learn are the guys that make it to the finals on each side. You know, because you kind of see their story and then at the end there's a winner and there's a loser. And, um, you know, that was another thing that I really wanted to change with Shugio was, um, how the winner and loser is treated. Um, and so, uh, we guarantee, we, we guaranteed second place in our tournament, $1,500 plus, uh, sponsor stuff. So, um, and we paid for everyone's travel as well. So they didn't have, oh, to wow. yeah, yeah. We, we covered all their travel. Um, and we covered, um, you know, for them, we covered housing and all that. So, um, yeah, we tried, like I said, we, that was trying to make it a good experience for the athletes. Basically the only, the athletes are simple. The athletes just want to show up and not get screwed. Like it's that simple. Like when you're an athlete at that level, like they're not looking for any, like most of them aren't looking for special treatment. They're not looking for like big perks or amenities. They just want to see how good they are that day. Right. They just want to like see if all the work they're putting in is paying off. Right. So if you give them that, if you let them have a pure stage to express on as the artist. Right. Um, and you just get out of their way. That's pretty much what they want. Now, above and beyond that, it's nice to have a little bit of money to throw at them, you know, for winning. Right. But um, even as a bragging rights tournament, Shugio is kind of cool. 
Yeah. And I mean, uh, it almost goes back to like the, the structure versus the openness in, in jujitsu, right? Because you can say how open jujitsu is, but then sometimes you, I've been watching, I've been binging all the Kasai pros uh, over, you know, the past couple of weeks. And I'm like, oh, this is really cool. But then you're like, hmm, the, the, the rounds are pretty short. Hmm, that, that rule set, you know, sometimes it's just two points. Somebody wins by two points because somebody pulled guard, but the ref called it a, a takedown because, you know, it, it's, it's really like rigid. So I love Shugio because it like really opens it up. There's, there's no purer form of competition jujitsu than sub only no time limit. And the benefit is in Kasai, if we were going to pro con Kasai versus Shugio, which like, it's not even really fair to do because Kasai is huge and has a ton of money and has the best grapplers in the world, you know? Um, and we're, and we're tiny. Um, <laughs> but if we for were, now. if we were for now, <laughs> if we were going to pro con, uh, Shugio and Kasai, you know, and I mean, I think the question should be all about beautiful jujitsu. Um, Kasai is giving you something that happens in short, fast, intense bursts, you know? And so there's these intense bursts for a takedown or for a submission or whatever. Um, and they're giving it to you live, right? Shugio is, is giving you the best jujitsu that happened in that event right like like filtered down to only the best shit but we're giving it to you sometime after the after the fact you know yeah so i think i think that you know the nice thing about again one of the nice things about the editing room is you get to sit down with all this content and you have these no time limit matches and so you have a match that's 20 minutes long and you get to say like wow what are the best best minutes of this 20 minute match and then we also did two things. We always released the edited versions and then we've released the unedited fights. So you can go back. Another option is if you're really like a student of jujitsu, you can go back and watch the full matches um, and see, you know, the unedited versions and see every, every frame, every second of the action. I just dropped actually one that never was dropped before, which is Ethan Crowlinston versus Keith Krikorian, uh, the rematch. So that's a really, it's a really super technical match. And, and you would never see a match this technical. You'd never see a match play out this way. If you guys go watch this match, um, you would never see it happen in a Kasai or, or another points tournament, because this is not the way people fight for points. Right. And whatever the rule set is of the event is going to change and dictate the play of the event. So the yeah. rule will dictate the play. So when you change the rules, you see different play. So, you know, for us, we just want to see the purest expression of jujitsu. We don't want to see who's the best at takes that take down and hold, right? Yeah. If you're the best at take down and hold, we have a lot for that. We have IBJJF, we have Kasai, we have a lot of opportunities to know who the best of that shit is. Um, for Shuyo, we want to know who's the most gangster, who's, and in, in some ways, who has control over their fear and they're demons because no time limit is scary as fuck. It's a scary, it's a scary format. And it's not the kind of thing where, um, someone would lightly, an athlete doesn't lightly say like, Hey, I'm just going to jump in this no time limit tournament, uh, round Robin, no time limit. That's like, because, because these guys like, you know, um, they're putting what they're, what they're putting up isn't their money. They're putting up themselves, you know, they're putting up, they're putting themselves in the tournament. And there's also, you know, it's, I mean, there's guys that win matches that become villains and there's guys that lose every match that become heroes too, you know, just because of their mentality. So that's another thing that um, makes Shugio different is just the stories of the athletes. Yeah. Interesting too, because it's more, you know, it's not as very one dimensional in the sense that like sometimes you can get into watching uh, different like events for jujitsu and it could be like, you know, you're, you're watching it because you're a jujitsu nerd, right? And you, or you want to watch these people compete and you want to see who the best is. And like, and while that's best at the rule set really, but with the Shugio, it reminds me of like a really good, you know, a good film in that sense where like, if it encapsulates all of those points that we find are important and it kind of takes out the things that, you know, a very trained eye like yourself, right. Would see is not important. And you'd even look at like a lot of the movies that you watch where it's not no movies like truly representational of everyday life. 
right? It, where they will like remove probably like 80% of the day and only put out like the dramas. Like even if you were to take Game of Thrones, right? You're not watching the everyday lives of every single character. But, and you're not also watching like the one dimensional story of people who are vying for like uh, to rule the land, right? There's like all of these different layers to it. And for me, it was just like a nerd about like people and play, you know, um, universally, I suppose you get a C in Shugyo because like it, it goes down to what we spoke about earlier, which is just people's choices all the way down to, and there's a representation of who they are through their lives. Like you even mentioned like uh, Nathan Orchard talking about, you know, like his, like uh, his warrior mentality. And then you have uh, like, I think what Keith Krikorian was talking about getting a rematch right like you could see these different kinds of mindsets and these different um these different trends and you get to know them at that level beyond just like who, who will win yeah what? like i think and i personally like as an athlete um like as an athlete who has i've been on every side of the equation you know i'm not i'm not coming to being a producer of content with like i'm gonna reinvent the wheel necessarily i'm coming as someone who's saying i've been a competitor i've been a coach i've been a spectator you know what i mean like i understand this game and i understand all these different sides of it right so i can kind of put myself in all those people's shoes right and the athletes deserve to have their stories told they're good stories they put a lot of like you know if you've ever if you know most gyms have like one or two really high level guys in the gym. Right. And there's like, and I don't mean like, of course, like there's a lot of high level guys in the gym, but then you have the, the guys who are competing at the top at that moment. Right. And then eventually they get older and then, you know, whatever, there's a new, there's always a younger guy. Right. But whoever's the top, top guy, you know, you watch how hard that guy trains, you know, you know, man, I, I'm making it to the gym once a day. This guy's there three times a day. You know, how many times is Gordon Ryan getting to the gym? right in order to stay at the level where he's at right so you see the work that all these guys um put in and then you don't ever hear about that or really get a glimpse of that when you don't get to know them and you don't like hear their story and like hear what's meaningful to them and this was another challenge in shugio was man i mean we sat down with these guys for hours in the interview view booths and we had to chop that down just to like the the little snippets, but there's a lot, I mean, there's a lot of tender moments. There's so much, there's so much that we couldn't put in, um, on each guy of just in-depth interviews about their families, about their history, about, about what motivates them, about why they fight. Um, we've got a lot of that, you know? So, and, and anyways, I'm just saying, um, I think that's a, that's a good story. And I think that's one of the things that athletes deserve is to have their stories told. And I think they're fascinating because it's the most like, those kinds of stories along with others are the closest thing that you can get to like modern day uh, warriors and like heroes. And I don't mean to dramatize what like people are doing in a recreational sense as something that's heroic, but like how there's ways to embody that archetype and like, and for some people, right. Who might come from tragedy or, you know, who might just have some big challenge that they have to overcome. Fuck that's heroic. I mean, sure. They're not dying, but like, in this kind of in modern culture, like how do you how do you simulate those things, right? Because like not everyone can go to war, and that's not really a great idea to like you know to follow that like hero or warrior path, and um, and that's why I find it's like interesting for rock climbing and running. Like you can simulate these situations where like consequences are real, and like we said before, like the commitment is real. Like being in a situation where you're like I have to commit a hundred percent to this. I'm here, like. Imagine going and doing like an amateur, even something that's light, like an amateur kickboxing match and it's knockout or draw. Like you can't go in there and be like, I'm done. I'm terrified. Like, yeah. bye. Like you're, you're there. Right. And like going, showing up to work. Like, I don't care if you just got a promotion or you just like, you know, finished a resume and you became a CEO. Like that's not even a level of commitment as something like this. And, yeah. Like, it turns everything on to like a hundred. Yeah, I just I just watched on the plane. I watched the free solo movie, mm -hmm. and I was like, "Oh wow!" I was like, I, I was I was super into it. The whole I was like on the edge of my seat, literally, just because yeah. because he's playing with that exact thing. He's he's showing you his level of commitment, and I think that 
again, like one of the things that we look for in athletes is we look at commitment with finesse is what we think of as beautiful. You know, when we see something that's full commit and it has that finesse, it, it appears as beautiful to us, you know? So I've, uh, I've seen you compete on, on it invitational right i've seen you compete in a local tournament up here in everett right because we live about an hour north of seattle so everett's you know right around the corner from us and um how do you balance competing like shugio your film editing with like the submission hunter tv coaching all of that you know you have a lot of stuff on your plate i don't i don't think you have a child but still like how do you how do you manage to do all of that and still be successful at all of it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there, there, yep. There's got a few. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, three dogs, no children. Um, so, uh, I am, uh, I'm a, a terrible, um, <laughs> I'm a terrible, uh, uh, multitasker. I don't know. I, I spin a lot of plates, you know, I, I just keep starting projects. I have no regard for my own time. Um, I'm getting better at it. I'm, I'm keeping myself on a calendar now. It's actually helping a lot because I'm kind of like visually and graphically like, so, like, um, sorting my time out, but, um, it's hard. It's not easy. There's a lot of things that get sacrificed. Um, I usually, put myself last before everything else. So I treat coaching and other obligations or expectations of other people above myself. So like if there's a question between like getting my oil changed in my vehicle or doing something that needs to happen for a Nogi summit or for a Shugyo or for class that evening, then I prioritize that above my own needs. Uh, it's not always a good thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, when I was a kid, I was always accused of like being like a jack of all trades and like master of none. And I think that one of the things that changed my mind about that was jujitsu because jujitsu was one of those first places that I realized like, wow, the more I focus here, the rewards are a lot better. And so focus, um, is a, is a benefit. There's a lot of benefits to focus. Um, and so, what I do now is I try to focus really, really intensely on something and then kind of move on to the next thing. So like, um, like I'll, I'll literally like, um, I'll, I'll go really hardcore on a project, Shugyo or a summit or something. And I'll do that for like two, three, four months. Um, just really focus on that. Um, and then as soon as it's over, I'll spend like two days of rest and then I'll get right into the next project. Um, and so that's the way that I've like found is, is better for me instead of doing five things at the same time, I'm just trying to do like, kind of like one right after the other and trying right. to be a little bit more focused. It's almost like cyclical at that point. Right. Yeah. And so that's what's, um, like, for example, with Nogi summit, um, we have, um, barring, uh, worldwide pandemics, um, every year there's going to be, uh, the schedule is going to be like this. In January or February, there's going to be a Nogi Summit in Australia. In April, there's going to be a Nogi Summit in Thailand. In uh, late uh, July and August, there's going to be one in Portland, Oregon, the Northwest Summit. And then um, maybe even later in the year, there might be a fourth summit somewhere in the world. Uh, the Snogi Summit, I think is what you called it. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I teased the Snogi Summit at, at one of the events, and I think that'd be really fun. Um, to figure out, I think that, um, I think that's something that's, that's a cool, um, thing that I've, you know, it's, it's a, what I've realized is that Nogi Summit is, um, it's like adventure tourism. And I guess like, um, adventure tourism is a really big, it's not, it's not a niche business. It's a huge business, you know? So there's a million different, um, places you can go where you can have a yoga retreat for people that want to learn to belly dance. And you can have a yoga retreat for people that want to rock climb. And you can have a yoga retreat, for people that want to be vegan chefs, and you can have a jujitsu retreat, for people that want to swim with sharks, or you can have a jujitsu retreat for people that want to uh, shred on the mountain, you know? Yeah. So um, I think there's a lot of different like cross sections of interests and that we can play with. And um, 
that's definitely part of our business model. That's really cool. Um, I mean, obviously with everything going on right now, a lot of things are kind of up in the air, but is there any, any plans for the, the Nogi summit this, this summer? Yeah. So we have a, um, we have a really awesome lineup for the summit, um, for the Northwest summit. We don't know, um, a hundred percent when the date will be just because of, of everything being closed right now. But, um, I don't foresee this whole closure lasting. The, the summit is the first weekend. Uh, we have it tentatively scheduled for the first weekend in August. Um, and so, um, I don't think this whole, uh, thing is going to last that long. So I think we should be just right on schedule with it. So, um, yeah, expect six world-class, uh, black belts, um, at the summit. And, um, this year is, uh, it's a little different. Um, it's kind of, it's going to be a little crazy because, um, um, Nathan Orchard and I started 10th Planet Portland together. Um, we opened the gym together back in 2013 and, um, every single Nogi summit, uh, both he and I have taught a session at. Um, and so this is going to be the first one, uh, in Portland that he and I don't teach at. So, oh, wow. We're, yeah. So we're going to get to kind of like step back a little bit and just like, um, bring in a lot of really, really cool voices, um, into the state. And like, that's something that's like big for us is like also for one of the goals of Nogi summit is like bringing people, um, and mixing people together. It's not just a 10th planet event. It's open to everybody. And it's probably about 40% 10th planet, 60% other gyms. Um, and so, uh, we want to mix, want to mix everyone together and get a lot of different like styles and voices in the room. And right. so, um, like, for example, you guys don't train at a 10th planet gym, but you've both come to Nogi summit. Um, and so, um, so this year, like we got some guys from autos coming. I'm not going to say who, but <laughs> cool. Um, we got some, we, we got some, uh, some other cool guys coming. I don't want to give anything too much, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I mean like last year we had Marcelo Garcia, so that's a little tough to, it's tough to, to get over that, but. Yeah, that was that was awesome. Like, I, I what I love about his jujitsu is it's so simple. It, it's yeah. like so simple, but just like flawless at the same time. You know what I mean? Um, I'm following the same the same thing. Is there any any plan for season two of Shugio? I know you probably don't want to talk too much about it, but I've been trying to figure out like I've, I've been poking around. <laughs> yeah, I've been poking around like weight classes. Is there even a weight class announced? Like so many people. I mean, I mean, um. Uh, you know, no offense to President Company, right? But I mean, like, really close um, friends of mine, black belts, guys in my association have hit me up, just being like, "Man, when when's the next one coming? Or what's the what's the weight class going to be? Don't you can tell me." <laughs> Here's the thing: if I told you the weight class, you could probably start guessing the same ten names that I can guess, right? Oh and yeah, yeah. Then that just starts the pressure on those guys, and so the longer I don't tell you anything the closer we are to one day you wake up and it's just like boom season two you know what i mean yeah, yeah exactly and you get that again you get you get that that like to experience that again and it's just it, it creates the excitement that we want you know um yeah, sure. whereas if you if you've known about it for so long it's not going to be as fun and that's where that's like true. like i don't know if you read any of like seth godin right for marketing and that's what he talks about is creating tension like different ways to create tension within the community. And, uh, and it's wonderful because like that comes into great storytelling, right? It's just in having those ebbs and flows and whenever you can have people thinking about it and wondering about it, that's a beautiful thing. And not even like a sneaky thing, but a beautiful thing, you know? Well, that's the way it was at Nogi summit last year, right? Is it was just like, Hey guys, by the way, little sneak peek is something we've been working on. And you're like, what? What the <laughs> hell? Yeah. Oh yeah. A little side project. Um, I thought it was a fun little cross, cross option there to show Shugio uh episode one at Nogi Summit. Um but yeah I mean I'll say that uh season we 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 have a lot of people that want to see uh Shugio season two happen. We want to see it happen. Um we have quite a few athletes that have already expressed interest. Um I I'm never gonna stand still so I'm always gonna be working on something and um you know um one thing that I thought I thought about also is um that you know, we're probably going to see in the future is, you know, we are going to see some Shugio super fights. Um, oh. You know, we can see a super fight format come to Shugio, not only the tournament format. Um, and another thing that I think is going to be really cool 
um, that we might see someday uh, is a dream of mine. And, and I think you guys might be fans of this, but we'll see. Um, you know, Shugyo is not a place. It's an idea, right? Uh, it's a concept, which means that it can happen anywhere. And so, um, like, I would love for it to be a little bit more Street Fighter and, like, um, you know, maybe, like, sometime the tournament is just, like, in a like in a shipping container yard, you know, and you're That's just cool, like, yeah. what the fuck? Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, like they like uh, they just um, uh, I don't know if you guys watched Submission Underground, but the Submission Underground that just came out, um, you know, like Chael like like took the athletes like blindfolded them and like took them to a secret location or something like that, you know, like all shrouded in mystery. That's kind of cool, you know, and like imagine if imagine like. So yeah, Shugyo can be shot in a gym, but it could also be in a silo. <laughs> yeah. It could be in the middle of a forest. It could be on top of a helipad. You know what I mean? Like it could be, it could be anywhere. So I think that's I think that location, location is is another fun thing that maybe we could play with. That'd be really cool. And I wanted to talk about something that that you mentioned earlier, which is you'd often put others and other people other people and other things uh, before yourself. Um, I think we all kind of like, you know, we're all shaped, um, we, our preferences are shaped by our environment and all those other, you know, things. And we, we come to, um, jujitsu and we come to our passions, bringing all of our preferences with us. And, and I think that shapes like the, the way we move forward in that. And that's with that said, like, if I don't, you made a comment, like, as if it were like a, a really a terrible thing, you know, to, like to work on. And to, to put, not to prioritize other people before yourself, right? And I, I get that because I've been there several times to the point to where it's like, it's been a destructive force in some things. And I've had to uh, problem solve to learn how to overcome that so that I can better practice jujitsu or um, better work on my business. But I also think it, it shapes like the roles that you fulfill. And like I said before, I've noticed that you you really spend a lot of time hosting these things and hosting different events and teaching um, people. Do you prioritize those things over competing? Like, how do you view your practice in, of jujitsu and competition in relation to like hosting these events and creating these content? Because like I'm a lot like yourself in that I have a lot of things that I love and I'm constantly getting pulled in all these different directions. And like I've come to the point to where I have to like say, okay, what do I have to remove right now so that I can actually give focus to these things? And I've even had to call into a question my own training at certain points. Yeah. Um, so, um, so yeah. Okay. So that's a complicated question, but I think I have an answer for you. So, um, uh, I've, I've, I've definitely in the past, um, stretched myself thin in a lot of, by trying to do everything to a level that is acceptable to me. Um, and uh, because when you're doing something at a level that's not acceptable to you, it's like, why are you even doing it? It doesn't feel good, you know? So at least if you're gonna do it, you have to do it all the way to the level that's that feels good. Um, otherwise, what's the point? So um, trying to do all those things has, has definitely um, uh, been stretching me thin in the past. Um, but you threw a Game of Thrones reference at me, so I'm gonna throw one back at you, um, which is that um, in our uh, in our tribe at 10th Planet Portland, um, we adopted this from Game of Thrones. But um, you know, we we understand that in promotions and in belting and in um, advancement in jujitsu, you can pay the iron price or you can pay the gold price for your rank. Um, and what we mean by that is basically some people um, choose to, or for whatever reason, um, they pay the iron price. That's they are they're out there sword and shield every weekend at the competitions, fighting, dying, winning, losing. Um, when they get promoted, their professor is saying like, "Dude, you just you're a purple belt, and you just smoked all bunch of brown belts in competition. You're a brown belt now, right?" Um, so to us, that's paying the iron price, um, the gold price, nothing wrong with it. Um, it's just that a lot of people have the other path in jujitsu and they're just kind of doing the journeyman thing and they're just showing up and they're showing up and they're showing up time over time, over time, putting in their work, putting in their work, putting in their work. And so when the coach says like, Hey, um, 
you know, you're going to get your purple belt today. It's like you, you didn't necessarily just go kill 10 guys in competition, but you've been so consistent and so good for so long that you're going to get recognized now. Right. Um, and so, um, again, nothing like no judgment on either of those paths. They're both like if someone, you know, I mean, and, and sometimes it's about age and body and responsibility. You know, if someone comes to me and they say, Hey dude, I'm, I'm 40 years old. I got two kids. I want to try jujitsu out. Um, they, they probably shouldn't be trying to compete every weekend, you know, the way a 20, the way like an Austin Daffron, uh, is, is going after it. Right. Um, so it was important to me that I earned my black belt and all my belts, um, through the, the iron way. I wanted to fight my way to promotion. I didn't want to, um, have it be like a time served kind of promotion. Um, and so when I was, a um, I don't think I got a gold medal in competition until I started competing when I was a white belt, but I didn't get a gold medal till I was probably a purple belt. Um, so a lot of competing, coming up third, coming up second, losing in the finals, a lot of losing in the finals um, at white belt and blue belt. Around purple belt, things started to click, started to win a couple tournaments here and there, also probably losing just as many. Um, and then once I became a brown belt, I just went on a tear. Um, and I just like was winning, fighting and winning all the time. And I did that for a few years straight, um, all the way up to black belt. And, um, I've enjoyed, I enjoy competing as black belt too. I, I like, I've, I've done competitions as a black belt, but, um, it's not, I don't feel like, uh, I have something to prove the way that I used to feel like I did. Um, and so because I was able to fight my way to where I wanted to be now, when I compete, and when I fight, it's because I choose to um, and because I want to. And that's really nice because that becomes something that um, it becomes a goal and it becomes an obstacle that I get to uh, set my sights on and then plan my route to how I'm going to overcome it. Um, it's not a state of being that I need to occupy at all times um, the way it used to feel that way. So I'm. Like a lot of people are asking me, Hey, what's next for you? And it's like, yeah, like I'll, when I want to compete, I'll compete, you know, like, and, but right now things like, uh, being a better coach, things like helping my students, um, achieve their goals, make, you know, make the changes in their games that they want to make. Um, and also, um, expanding the jujitsu world through things like Shugyo and Nogi Summit. Those things are all, um, really important to me right now um so i feel like i've kind of um not that i'm done competing but i've 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 given myself um the time and the uh focus on my own comp competitive career and now I'm, I'm much more focused on my students than i am on myself mm, that's, that's awesome that makes a lot of sense too yeah thanks and um and then in just in closing do you do you survive mainly off of um, running 10th Planet Portland? Like, are you, is your immersion in jiu-jitsu um, wholly professional or do you have a professional career outside of jiu-jitsu? Oh, okay. Um, so um, one thing I tell people is that most people have, um, I, I have a bad, I've had a bad habit my whole life of turning whatever my hobby was into my profession. So I'm always taking my hobby and trying to turn it into my profession. And the way that I see that going is you have your hobby, you have your side gig and you have your main gig. Right. Um, and so, um, I've been working, I've been, I've had jobs since I was 16. And so, um, I've always had my main gig. Most people don't like their main gig very much. And most people want to turn their hobby into their main gig. If only they knew that if they did that, it would become a drag in its own way. Um, but that's kind of a, a different paradox. Um, but um, anyways, when I started the gym in 2013, um, I was working as a, uh, uh, I was working kind of a manual labor job. I was doing, um, I was doing, uh, loading, I was loading trucks and I was working, uh, kind of like parties. I was kind of like, like doing, uh, little things at parties. I was working for a party company and, um, I quit that job. I went back to working for law firms. I worked for law lawyers for a long time. Um, and then, um, I would basically work all day and then train all night. 
Um, and then the gym was just kind of slowly building. It wasn't growing that fast though. Cause I didn't have a lot of time to put into it. So it was just kind of like, it was, the gym was very much, um, the side gig. Um, it had, it had gone from being a hobby to being a side gig. Um, but it wasn't a very successful side gig. I still needed my main gig. And then, um, around 2014, 2015, I helped found a company, um, that did, uh, cannabis consulting. And so I started doing, um, that was my main, my full-time job for a while. Um, I left the legal world and I went back, I went to, uh, working in consulting and running my own company. And we rode that for a while while cannabis legalization was happening in Oregon and Washington. Um, and then at the end of that, um, we kind of had like an option to pivot towards California and other new recreational markets. And I just saw how continuing to chase the cannabis wave was going to take me away from jujitsu, even though it was lucrative. Um, and so I just basically took all my resources from cannabis, um, and put it into, uh, the gym. And so I just took all my time and all my energy and put it hundred percent into the gym. And I just kind of like sit out with a goal of saying like, okay, this is the, this is the amount of money I need to make. Um, I heard someone say that, um, the, the recipe for happiness is to figure out how much money you need to make to do the things you want to do and to make just that amount of money, not anymore. Um, so I started by kind of figuring out how much I needed and I would try to figure out how I could make jujitsu, um, make that happen. And then I just put all my effort into that. And now that's what's happening. Wow. That's right. So the gym's your main gig now. The gym has moved from hobby to side gig to main gig. So now the gym's my main gig. And I get to have things like, um, like, you know, Nogi Summit and Shugyo be my, my side gigs. And then I have new hobbies, which are trying to learn the acoustic guitar and, uh, grilling and smoking meat. So nice. those are my new hobbies. And I'm, uh, someday I'll open a barbecue restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> That's rad, man. Like you seem to be a man of many ideas and I love meeting people who are able to take the things that they're interested in and build a lifestyle around it. Cause like oftentimes I'm around um, people who have conventional lifestyles and those are really cool. And, you know, and I congratulate them for um, putting all of those like that hard work and trying to take care of their family and themselves. But like, I feel like I want to rake my eyes out and I always have since I was a kid. And I thought, like, yeah. like I said, I felt like I was like a loser and lazy. And then I come into these things and like it's I could spend I stay up, you know, into the wee hours of the night. I drive, you know, ridiculous amounts of drive time, spend all this money driving like. 10 times longer than the event is right. Like spending, you know, over a day driving for like a five hour event and it's worth it. And like meeting people who have made that work for them, you know, and in very much, it always seems like it's very indirectly. I just follow what I love. Like Nathan talks about that too, you know, following what he loves and having his main gig and over time, just little skills building and opportunities show up and just being ready for him, you know? Yeah. And you said, you said this earlier, so I'm just really echoing this back, but, I'm a real believer, um, you know, like, like I think a lot of people like look at, um, people who are doing something close to what they want to do, or they're saying like, man, like I really love jujitsu. You make your money from doing jujitsu. I want what you have. I want to do what you're doing. And it's like, um, well, you, you can't be me, but you can be you, you know? So that's really what it comes down to. And I think there's room for everyone. Um, you know, to, to, to figure out what it is that they're passionate about and where they fit into that and, and to kind of like find their niche inside of that, you know? So like, like not everybody is going to be the head instructor, but that's okay. You don't have to be, you know, like not everyone has to, um, follow the same exact path. It's more, it's more meaningful to, to really follow your path because that's the one that you can commit to. And that's the one that feels genuine. And that's the one that you can wake up every day and like be interested in because it's the realist to you. And also that's the one where there lies the most self-discovery, right? The most unknown, which is the things about yourself, the things you can never predict. And like, that's where it goes to when you enter in jujitsu and you have this realization, you know, when you're doing all these things, stretching yourself thin, putting others, you know, first, like you could really do an assessment and be like, okay, what things in jujitsu reward me if I put other people first? And it's like, oh, okay. My strengths really slide well into teaching people 
and creating like content and stuff because I'm going to be constantly thinking about the other. Whereas like I'll have like a few friends and they're very confident. Right. And they they're just constantly grinding. That's their default. Like outside of jujitsu, like you just put him in a thing. And like my son, he wants to be so concerned about exceeding in class. And I'm like, oh, that's kind of frightening. Um, like, just chill, man, because I'm that way. Like, I'm just chill. But in that context, like he would be great if he he could look at his strengths and see that probably competing and things like that are like great for him because you could apply that personality, you know. And then also in closing, if anyone out there is confused about what they like to do, just look at your video game preferences because mine were open world video games with freedom of choices and it was just me and I didn't rely on a bunch of other people. And that's why I love jujitsu and rock climbing and trail running. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that'd be interesting. Uh, interesting. I'd love to see the video game personality quiz. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll start it. I'll put it on the website. And right. uh, for, for anyone who wants to check out uh, Shigio and Submission Hunters, uh, where can they find all of that? So Shugio is has its own YouTube show, uh, YouTube channel. It's just youtube.com backslash Shugio. And um, you can see all the episodes there. I promise they're worth watching. Um, and I promise the production gets better over time also. Uh, <laughs> and you can also find all of the unedited fights there. So if you really want to dive in the details, uh, it's just youtube.com backslash Shugio. Um, and then if you want to find Submission Hunter TV or any of the other things that we're putting out, um, we're going to put a lot more videos out uh, to come, but uh, you can uh, please f follow and subscribe uh, just 10th Planet Portland on YouTube. All right, sweet. And I'll be sure to leave all the links to that in the show notes and on the website. And yeah, is there anything else that you wanted to ask, Alfie? Sorry. Oh, no, no we're all good. That was, that was good. All right. Thank, Thank you. Guys. Thanks, Phil. Thank you guys for listening to this episode of the podcast. Uh, if you'd like to follow Alfie and his jujitsu and fitness exploits, you can find him on Instagram at poo.jitsu. You can find Phil Schwartz on Instagram at philschwartz10p. I'm checking him out on 10thplanetportland.com. Watch some Shugyo, some Mission Hunters. And most of all, I hope you guys are doing well if you're still amid this global pandemic over the coronavirus. I'm going to play you out with this song called Forget Me by Idea and uh, Slug from Atmosphere. Stay safe out there, y'all.
this aquarium is deeper than the last one. My castle was never made of sand. It's one big aluminum can. The shadow of the dam, the shadow of the man you pretend you are. Had a rough lot that got caught and went too far. And if I did have a car, I'd go broke from the gas on the shoulder of the road while you roll past. I've been a lot of places and I've seen a lot of faces. I don't miss none of them and they don't miss me. Fell in love with sensation. Now I'm my own mental patient. But that's the price you pay if you want to live free. Kill my dedication. Put me on your medication. Drop me off in space and never come to get me. Nothing that I say has ever been that amazing. So when I die, do me a favor and forget me. talk about religion or anything and yet I think, I think, I think. 